Good morning. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. We discussed how James was expressing extreme caution whenever someone gets a response from us. And um, when they get that response, that we should pay close attention to what we say and how we say it. Now, uh, confession, this week I failed miserably. Um, And I pray that God would give me another opportunity and that I might take his word and his instruction more seriously um, through proper application this week. But if we look over, um, we'll be in James chapter 3. We're looking at the, uh, starting verse 13 through 18. Again, I'm reading in a New King James. So for the um, past several weeks, we've talked about trials. We've talked about works. We've talked about the tongue. Um, now, allow me to explain why James is covering these things in this particular order. Because trials are going to come. And when they do, your conduct, what you do and say, is going to determine what you really believe. It's going to show, it's going to show you what you really believe, right? We're not showing God anything. We're not, we're not showing him who we are because he knows, but he's showing us through these trials and how we respond to these trials, who we are. So let's look over in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among, among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, doesn't it seem a little bit like James kind of, you know, jumps from one topic to another, kind of in the middle of a chapter? Well, if you split it up in, in the way that we have, it, it might seem like that. But, but remember that James is writing this in one, one sitting Basically, you know, um, the Holy Spirit is, is speaking through James, and this is to be taken in its entirety. So, um, I recommend that you do the same, that you go back and you read uh, each week up to the point that we're at. That's what I've been doing. So, the first week we went over the first half, so that's what I do. I One half, and then the next week I go the whole chapter and the next week I go the whole chapter and half the next and so on and it really gets you um, understanding what he's what he's trying to convey here um, because he's not speaking about separate individual truths right not topics but instead he's speaking around one truth he's speaking around one truth right the, tr- the truth, which is Jesus Christ. And James is saying here, who is wise and understanding among you? And I believe that many in this group, um, this group that he's talking about, would raise their hand and say, right here, I'm wise, right? I'm wise. And then James says, prove it. If I spent any amount of time with you, would I agree with you? This is what James is challenging them with here. So here we, here we go again. We're talking about action. James is telling us 
that not only he, but we will be able to discern whether someone really has wisdom and understanding by what they do and how they conduct themselves. He is saying that we can look at someone's conduct and their works, their fruit, and anyone that has true wisdom is meek. Right? He says that right there at the end of the verse, in the meekness of wisdom. If you're arrogant, if you're proud, if you're boastful, then according to the scriptures, you lack wisdom. So this is obviously um, based on how you live, you know, whether or not you lack meekness. Now, meekness, let's, let's define our terms here, okay? Let's talk about what meekness is not. Meekness is not weakness, and I know you've probably heard that before. But instead, it means strength under control, right? It means having strength and knowing when and how to use it appropriately with wisdom. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy that many of you may not necessarily be able to uh, relate to. But in practicing jiu-jitsu, it's it's very similar. Okay, you learn these techniques. um, You learn these different submissions and how to control your opponent. Right, but when when people of any uh, advanced level are, um, you know, grappling against one another, it's not it's not all out. You know, if you were to walk into a reputable school and you see two black belts that are grappling, um, you'd be like. What in the world? Because it doesn't, it kind of just looks like they're being lazy, right? But it's not. They have the strength. They have the technique. They they have the knowledge to be able to hurt somebody, but they have it completely and utterly under control. And if you've ever trained in any um, capacity, any kind of fighting capacity, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially if you go with someone that is um, very well-versed and whatever art they're they're practicing because at any minute someone of an expert level could completely take control over somebody that is a novice okay um somebody that's just untrained is what i mean and it's very it would be very easy to hurt someone but you have to have that strength under control so in a similar sense here we have to be able to have meekness. He's God is not telling us to be weak or weak men or weak women. What he's telling us is to be strong in our faith, to be strong in who we are, to know when to stand, to know when to draw the line in the sand and to fight, but also to have that under control and not let it get away from us, not let us be haughty, not let us be quick to speak, Right? Just kind of like we what we talked about last week. And he says that anybody that doesn't have this control lacks meekness. And if you lack meekness, then you lack wisdom. Um, so this is why I get I tend to get frustrated with um, the idea that Christians just tend to judge people all the time. Um, especially if they're truly of the faith. Okay, now certainly there are some who 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 are pious and tend to 
um, trying to make themselves seem holier because of the church they attend or fill in the blank, right? We've talked about this in weeks prior, but that's not what I'm talking about. A true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ, when they approach someone and they um, expose that, that individual sin, it is not judgment, right? I'm I'm not I'm not condemning someone to hell. I, it, it's not my decision to make. Okay. However, there's a clear distinction between judgment and discernment. So when we get discernment, we are able to discern, right? We are able to tell what kind of tree someone is based on their fruit. That is not me determining whether or not someone is going to heaven or hell. It's you showing me if you really believe what you say or not. Um, now, for somebody that maybe is, is a newer Christian, a newer convert, that may not make sense, but for you veterans, you know what I'm talking about here. And I'm not talking only to you because I do want to be clear. If we as Christians cannot discern whether someone is a Christian or not, a true or false believer, or a believer at all, then there would be no point in evangelism. There would be no point in witnessing to others um, because it would just come across as being judgmental, right? But that's not what it is. So let's, let's define our terms. When I look at someone's conduct, I'm not pronouncing them to hell in a position of authority. That is judgment, okay? Instead, what I'm doing is I'm recognizing and identifying, which is discernment. Remember we talked about last week that maybe you're just mislabeled or maybe someone is mislabeling themselves. So, um, you know, last week we said you're able to recognize and identify what type of tree someone is based on their fruit. This is the principle that is taught to us by Christ himself. So people that say that we do that and we shouldn't are telling us to do something against what our Savior and our Lord, more more importantly here, is commanding us to, that we are to discern. Now, people get upset. Um, you know, they get upset, though, and, and they try to blur those lines because what tends to happen is if you expose someone's sin, it never feels good. Okay, it, it doesn't. And they will be offended. Um, not by you, but by themselves. That you're that you're you have the audacity to to call that forth. Um, when they're confronted with their habitual sin, they, they often get offended. Now now listen, I've heard this analogy. <clears throat> that I would love it if every single saved person had a neon yellow stripe painted on their forehead because then I would know for certain who I needed to witness to and who I didn't, right? It'd be very clear, but that's not the case. So instead, we must discern whether someone is saved or not based on their good conduct or the lack thereof. And if someone tells me that I shouldn't do do that very thing because it seems judgy then what's the point in evangelism 
or you're asking me to disobey my Lord. When I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. So I must, I'm compelled to do what he calls me to do. So only, you know, they they say, well, only they know. So only they should worry about it. But that's absurd. Um, Let me give this analogy. If I see a family member that I love walking towards a cliff to their imminent demise, right? I'm going to do everything that I can to keep them from destroying themselves, even if it makes them uncomfortable or makes them hate me. That's what real love looks like, that I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the sake of my brother, right? 1 John 3. Remember, he, he, he says very plainly, that no greater love has a man than this than someone who would lay it down his life for his friend. In a similar sense, John three sixteen verses uh, John three sixteen, everybody knows, but we often take that verse and stop there. But I want to read verses sixteen through twenty. It says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life." Now, this is where people stop reading, but but let's keep reading, okay? This, verse 17 through 20 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now those are words in red. Okay, all of that. That was Jesus Christ. It's ridiculous for someone to think that God will not judge you based on what you do when it clearly reveals the state of your heart, right? He, He will judge your heart. But what you do is a representation of what abides there. And we see this very thing discussed in um, verse 14. It says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. So if I look at your life and I see bitter envy... I see selfishness, I see boasting or lying, but you tell me that you are wise, then you make yourself a liar because those qualities cannot coexist, right? 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Have you seen those those bumper stickers, those coexist bumper stickers? They use different religious symbols um, that, that spell out the word coexist to emphasize this very popular but false idea that says all religions should be able to coexist together. And when you when you listen to 
Um, most people, they'll say, well, most religions teach the same thing anyway, right? Um, it, they, they all teach the same thing. It's, it's about being a good person. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. It actually teaches that we are not good, and there is nothing that we can do without a transformed heart that is good in the sight of God. The Bible teaches against the idea of coexisting by saying that if you are not his, if you do not belong to him, he can have no part in you. Right? Um, I, I recommended months ago this uh, YouTube channel called Cultish. It's a, it's a like a subset of this bigger channel called Apologia Studios, and it's the Apologia Church with Jeff Durbin. Highly recommend anybody go check that out. Um, I've been listening quite a bit here lately to uh, Jeff Durbin, who was the pastor there, um, speaking to Mormons, right? And and they they believe a very similar gospel, but but just slightly distorted, but distorted enough to make it so similar to every other religion that, that's out there. But the Bible is the only one really that's different. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you look at Buddhism, if you look at Mormonism, if you look at, um, you know, the Muslim faith, if you look at uh, a lot of times um, some of the Catholics, um, Jehovah's Witness, it's all, all these things are works-based, meaning that I must perform these tasks in order to receive salvation right and and the intent of why people read those texts is very important because who is the main character in these texts who is the main person that's trying to get the point across to or who who is the person that this is for and about it's about the person reading the one the individual right the person is reading it and people say that about the bible but it's so unbiblically uh you know unbiblical unbiblical excuse me and blasphemous to to claim that the story of david and goliath was about david or samson and delilah was somehow about samson or moses and the israelites was somehow about moses and noah was somehow about noah and adam and eve was somehow about adam and it, no, that's none of that is true all of this is about Jesus Christ, and none of it is about me, with the exception of revealing to me who I am in relation to him. Okay? So what I mean there is every other religion out there, it's about what you do and how good you are. But the Bible breaks that idea down and throws it away and burns it. And the Bible says, you're not good, you can't be good, and you won't be good. And there's only one that is good, and it is God, and it is only through him, only through his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. It is only through your trust in him that you are saved. That's why, as Christians, we can't adhere to that idea of coexisting, because ultimately, It's not about us being right. 
Okay, it's not it's not like I'm going to go up to a Muslim and say I'm right because it's, it's not the case. I'm just in agreement with what is true. Okay, I agree with what is true, and I don't always. When I read the scriptures and I see something that I that I that is difficult for me and it's hard to agree with, that's when it shows who I am. Am I willing to say, well, I'm wrong here, and I need to do what Christ is commanding of me? Or do I say, well, you know, he's not talking to me there. Talking about the tongue, right? Last week, I even told you, started this lesson out by telling you how I failed in doing that. Praise God that he's forgiven me of that. And praise God that I have another another breath and another day to where Maybe he'll give me the opportunity to show myself approved here. But we can't have any part in these other faiths because they're not of us. They're not of God. Just like wisdom can have no part in bitter envy and self-seeking, right? In boasting and in lying. James is saying that you can't retain these things in your heart and sit in this group of believers like you are one of us. Not if these things are prevalent in your life. These things are prevalent in your life. You're not one of us. And why? Because it isn't a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's going over to the fig tree and finding olives. Remember I was talking about that last week? That means there must be something wrong with this tree. look at verse 15 it says this wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly sensual and demonic remember what we what we talked about back in chapter two um those who say they believe in god right and we and james says well so do the demons so what differentiates us from them because they believe what you believe but your behavior should be different than theirs because your behavior is a reflection of the nature and the state of your heart. So James is saying that these things that I just mentioned aren't of God, but are earthly, sensual, and demonic garbage. And if that's the wisdom that you claim to have, then you're no different than the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is not from heaven. look at verse 16 it says for where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there so let's get that in context okay james is saying first of all if you want to know where your wisdom comes from if there's bitter jealousy selfish ambition in your hearts if you're arrogant and you boast and you can't tell the truth That doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, it's demonic, and anywhere these things exist, there will always be disorder, there will always be confusion, right? And every evil thing, every vile practice is what some uh, translations say. Every vile practice dwells there. And if you ever lived a life apart from God prior to your salvation, what was it like? Right? What was that life like? Take it, take it from someone with some experience. It is self-seeking. It is chaotic. And it is vile. 
right? You, you kind of wake up and you're just, you just go through the motions. You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to do what I think is right today. So I'm just going to kind of do this or whatever. And there's no real anchor. You wake up and you basically go where the wind takes you. You do what you feel is right. But even your views on right and wrong change with the tides because you never really have that absolute anchor like you do in Jesus Christ. It's utter confusion and chaos. Praise be to God that he is the God of order, that he is not the author of confusion. And it's because of that we can have confidence knowing that our anchor shall not be moved, right? He does not waver. He will never bend nor break. He is steady. He has a firm foundation. So anywhere that confusion dwells, Christ does not because he repels chaos and confusion. So if this envy and confusion dwells in your heart, guess what? He doesn't dwell there either. Let me say that again. Christ cannot dwell with confusion and chaos. He repels it. So if envy and confusion dwell in your heart, he does not. Now praise God that he has pulled me out of that life. Right? I talked about that a few weeks ago. But by the grace of God. But it's more than that. And I heard this analogy that Jesus is like a guy on a life raft in the middle of the ocean surrounded by sharks, right? And we're in the life raft with him. And what has happened is we have have fallen out of the boat because of the fallen creation that we live in. So now Jesus must reach over and pull us back into the boat. That is a complete misrepresentation of the gospel. A much better analogy would be that we dove into the sea, the open sea, willingly, where there is no help, nowhere in sight, and we are now dead at the bottom of the ocean. And then Christ, the God of all creation, parts the waters. He comes to us who is dead, right? He comes to us, and he gives us new life. He breathes the breath of life into us, and we are reborn. And he resurrects us completely. And then we don't walk, we don't just walk out of there, but he then carries us out of the ocean on dry land the whole way. That is a much better description of what the gospel looks like. Now, my life is not easy. It is not perfect, and it is not free from trials and tribulation, but it is steady and anchored in Jesus Christ. You know, I've learned over time that whenever I go through something, I know that he's with me, and I know that he's in it, and I know that he's right. And that's good enough for me. I have no idea what this day is going to hold. But I should expect things outside of my control to happen because Jesus said that it would. He said, in this life, 
you will face trials. But when it but when those trials come, he says, be at peace and have joy in your heart. Because if you cling to me, I have already overcome it. There is nothing that we have ever faced or will face that he hasn't overcome. Right? And as a matter of fact, there's nothing that we have faced or will ever face that he hasn't faced. Satan tempted him in every way. Now, I love um, how some people think that God is going to somehow exempt them from something that he didn't even exempt his own son from. Right? People complain all the time. Christians complain all the time about their circumstances. Why would God do this? Why would God do that? Why would he allow this to happen? He didn't, he didn't even exempt his own son from going through those things. So why would he exempt you? And his son was perfect, sinless. Think about Job. God brought Job to the point where Job says, Even though he slay me, I'm a, at perfect peace because I find my hope only in him. You see, Job was taught that once everything was taken from him, all he had left was his relationship with God. And that's when he realized that that's all he ever needed. When we chase after things, anything else other than Jesus Christ, this is these right here are the wages that we earned. Confusion and chaos. The world gives you confusion, chaos, and every vile practice or every evil thing. But listen to what God gives you in, in verse 17. James says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, right? It's perfect. It's pure like the silver that we talked about in chapter 1. God's perfect will is perfect in every way. and It's entirely perfect. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Look at that. James just went back and covered everything he's already mentioned. Didn't he? These are the characteristics of God that we should be striving for. We shouldn't just strive for peace, but for God's peace. We shouldn't just strive for gentleness, but for God's gentleness. Not just for the ability to yield, but for the ability to yield to the authority of Christ. Not just for mercy, but for the same mercy that has been shown to us. To the same degree. Not just for good fruit, but for the fruit that Christ bears. The fruit of the Spirit. With no partiality. With no hypocrisy. And in the pursuit and fulfillment of these things, God will give you wisdom.
verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do we try to make peace with everyone? Romans 12:18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, sometimes that just isn't possible because some people are completely unreasonable in the sense that you must concede uh, your Christian values for the popular belief, right? I'm not to live in peace with those people that call for that. And we know that isn't what he's saying here. But we fail to even try to seek peace with the brethren. I would dare say that we oftentimes are more actively seeking peace with the world than we are with our own brethren. He says righteousness is sown in peace and by those who make peace. Do you want a peaceful life? Then make peace with others, especially the brethren. I had to do that this week. I was in error. And I had to, in the words of the world, swallow my pride a bit, right? But it's so much easier when you don't let pride abound. Unfortunately, some of it's still there with me. And praise God that he's helping me purge that. Where I may have missed the opportunity to tame my tongue, he gave me the opportunity to submit to the authority of himself and to make peace with my brothers, which is what I should constantly be striving for. Now, some people don't want to live in peace with you. They just don't. But we are told, as much as it depends on you, so if you aren't at peace with somebody, it should be because they won't do it, not because we won't. We want to live at peace as best we can, right? James is saying that you'll have peace, you'll have a peaceful life if you are constantly pursuing peace with others and not sowing conflict. Now that um, that wraps up chapter three. Um, kind of a short lesson this week, but that's all right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, sure, you guys won't complain. Um, next week we're going to uh, dive into chapter four. Uh, now we're we're getting close to finishing the book of James. So, um, if you're watching online, leave a comment on the next book you'd like for us to go through. Um, if you know me personally, send me a text message, email, whatever. Oh, let me know what you want to go through. Um, I, I've got a couple of ideas, but um, not 100% certain yet. Um, make sure, uh, if, if you haven't already, that you subscribe to the channel and please share it with, with someone you know that you think will actually get something out of this. Encourage them to come into class. This is a good representation of what, um, I should say this is a good representation of what class is like. Um, I appreciate you guys watching. Uh, thank you so much for your time and I uh, hope you have a great week. Thank you for watching and we will see you next time.